This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. In a move talked about over the last few weeks, Walt Disney Corporation has acquired a variety of assets from 20th Century Fox. They include Cable Networks FX and National Geographic, the Fox Movie Studio, international networks like Star TV and Sky, as well as a variety of regional sports networks. But Fox is keeping its news division as well as its national sports networks. The value of this deal reported $52.4 billion in stock. To discuss the possible merger, we are joined here in studio by Penn Law and Wharton Professor Herbert Hovenkamp. And uh, joining us on the phone, University of Michigan Professor Eric Gordon, as well as Himant Bargava, who is a chair in technology management at the University of California at Davis. Herbert, great to see you again. Thank you for uh, stopping by. Thank you very much. Eric, Eric Himant, great to have you back with us again, gentlemen. Thank you, Dan. Wonderful to be back. Thank you both. Uh, reaction to the to this news? I mean, I'm not, uh, or I should say, uh, Herbert, it's been talked about over the last few weeks. So this is not really a surprise that this happened. But when you see all the details, what's your reaction? Uh, my reaction is that uh, it will produce a much more powerful Disney, able to compete better with uh, streaming services like Netflix and Amazon. I think it'll get some close review, not so much in programming, uh, but more likely in uh, in sports. The regional sports networks, I think, are going to provoke a close look. Eric, what's your reaction? Yeah, you know, mergers uh, happen for one of three reasons. The most common is the CEO is in trouble, uh, so merges with somebody to as a distraction. The other argument for mergers is efficiency. We will be able to cut costs, and that will be good for everyone. This merger is about the third reason people merge. It's about, it's about power. Um, as Professor Hovenkamp said, it's, it's about Disney getting back some power, power that it's sort of slipping away in a world of cord cutting um, and new technologies uh, that, that make the, the traditional distribution of things like ESPN um, less powerful. Hey, Mott, what was your reaction? Uh, yes, certainly this is about power, which, or what, what I would define as uh, being able to offer bigger bundles in the direct-to-consumer service. But I think this also puts in front of us this triangle of things that have come up to the front in the last two months and which we have talked about on the show. It's uh, the AT&T Time Warner merger yep. on the one hand and net neutrality, on which we now know the answer. And I think a lot will depend you know, so the net, net neutrality uh, uh, transformation, I think, should affect how the AT&T Time Warner merger goes or does not go through. And that, in turn, will affect how successful or weak Disney can be in this direct-to-consumer option. Uh, Hema, Bob Iger, who is the uh, the head of Disney, said in an interview yesterday that he really liked what Fox was doing in reaching consumers in places overseas like Asia and India. So he really has a, a part of this focused uh, globally in terms of uh, bringing those elements in, under Disney. Yes, I think certainly once you have a direct-to-consumer service, you want to go beyond the U.S. and capture a much bigger share of the market. That is what Netflix has been doing as well. I think one big change that Disney will have to make and really learn is how to be a consumer-focused company in the modern world of data analytics. 
you know, Netflix has done that really, really well. So reaching the consumer is not simply about being able to offer a product directly to the consumer. Netflix has learned what they want, how they can predict better their taste, their, um, you know, preferences about individual shows. But Netflix has also learned as collectively as a market, what do consumers want, what content should be produced. So I think that kind of data-driven analytics that Netflix has specialized in almost right since its inception, that's something that companies like Disney, which have been away from the consumer, have never built. So if they want to go abroad or even in the U.S., I think that will be a big expertise they will need to develop. Herbert? Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, in, in terms of antitrust review, uh, the uh, reach out abroad is not going to be an issue in the U.S., which doesn't go after anti-competitive effects that occur in in foreign markets. Um, and I think the streaming story, I agree, is going to be mainly positive. Mm-hmm. We need another player in that market and a more a more consumer friendly Hulu with a bigger. Uh, database of of uh, of uh, offerings will will be helpful. I do think there's going to be a close look in sports. I don't know how it's going to come out, but I think there will be a close look in the, with respect to the. And, and that's an important point because part of this deal was 22 regional sports networks right. that were under the control of Fox that would potentially now go to Disney, which already has ESPN right. and ESPN2 and all of those different networks. So the perception could be that they have a dominant position in terms of some of those contracts and some of those programming, which the government may, may squawk at. Yes, and it's it's very important to keep in mind that this is what we call a partial asset acquisition, which means basically that Fox is not emptying itself. There will be some Fox left after this merger, and those kinds of mergers are usually easier to fix because the government can just come in and point at specific assets like one or more of these sports networks and says, okay, you can't sell this, and the result will be that it will have to stay with Fox rather than being transferred to Disney, and then Fox will have to decide on its own what it's going to do with that particular asset. Well, Eric, did did Fox really just want to get out of the entertainment industry? It feels to a degree like that because of the fact that they, they kept uh, their, their news elements uh, and they kept their, their national sports brands. Yeah, Fox either had to get a lot bigger in entertainment, get a lot bigger in streaming, or get out. Um, being in the middle, being in the middle is exactly where you don't want to be. And emotionally, you know, Fox is Murdoch. It's the Murdoch family, and you know, emotionally, that's where Rupert, Elder Murdoch, started. He started with newspapers in Australia. So keeping, uh, he already separated the newspapers, Wall Street Journal, New York Post, and some others, uh, some in the UK, um, and the news business, which you know is sort of a spinoff from the newspapers. Uh, they are keeping Fox is keeping its national sports network, so it's not getting out of sports. Um, I, you know, I agree with Professor Hovenkamp, um, and and but but it would also add something. But uh, the, the sports, the sports, the regional sports networks adds an, another kind of troubling thing. ESPN has been a, a flashpoint for discontent amongst cable operators. Um, uh, AB, uh, not ABC, it's, a, it's ABC, Disney, it's all one big company, right. has used its power in ESPN in sports to charge cable operators really high fees to carry ESPN and pushes them to carry 
all of the ESPNs, ESPN2, ESPNU, ESPN7, I don't know. It's, it's, it's this long menu. So you can be sure that the cable operators will be showing up at the regulator's door saying, don't give don't give the owner of ESPN any more problems. Right. I do think there's a problem on the streaming side, though, and, and you see the hint of it. Um, part of what uh, Fo- uh, Disney now gets is Fox's interest in a streaming service, Hulu. Uh, and even prior to this deal, Disney said, well, you know, we're not going to renew with Hulu. We're, we're not going to put our content on Hulu. So the 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 uh, vertical antitrust question in streaming will be, if Disney has all of this new content, all of the Fox movie, all of the Fox television content, which is some powerful content, you know, it's The Simpsons and a lot of hot shows, uh, will they use that power in content to uh, harm, not not increase, but actually harm competition right. amongst the streamers, starting with Netflix? I'm sorry, it was Netflix who they're cutting off, not Hulu. Right. Uh, so, you know, there'll be a new competitor, but does that mean there'll be more competition or less competition? Well, I wanted to ask you that, and I'll start with you on that, Eric. What what potentially is the impact on Netflix here? And you mentioned Hulu, the fact that Disney now has a, a, a much larger stake in Hulu. Mike, other question would be, after that would be, what's the impact on Comcast and Time Warner, uh, pending, obviously, an AT&T Time Warner deal, because they also own a stake in Hulu as well. Oh, yeah. So going backwards with Hulu, yeah, NBC Universal, uh, which is part of Comcast, owns 30% of Hulu. Time Warner owns 10%. Um, for the first time, one of the Hulu participants will be in control. Um, what kind of fights will that cause in Hulu? But what will that mean for the content that's made available to Hulu or favored by Hulu? So that's, you know, one competitive question. Um, Netflix, uh, Netflix uh, is an interesting situation because Netflix has started to compete with the Disneys and Foxes in content production. So Netflix says they are spending $8 billion next year uh, to produce original content. And, you know, they've had a lot of success in original content. They've won, you know, all kinds of awards. Uh, Netflix has become a big business. Um, they actually got a really famous producer uh, who they lured away from Fox, uh, Chandra Grams, who produced Grey's Anatomy. So, uh, you know, Netflix's future probably depends less on content from Disney, more on originally produced content. And that's probably the story with all of the streamers. Hey, Matt, what was your reaction to both of those pieces? Well, so one, you know, I don't think, I think the way we look at uh, antitrust um, in this industry will have to be different from how we've looked at it for many, many decades. The market definition, definitions are changing. So the fact that uh, Disney, that streaming, will not share its content with other, other streaming services, which are really competitors, that is, that's really nothing anti-competitive about that. Netflix originals are not going to show up on Disney streaming either. So I, I, I think I, I'm actually um, more optimistic that the Disney-Fox deal will go through because I'm also a little more pessimistic about how successful a Disney or a Disney-Fox will be in its competition with Netflix. So certainly it will survive. It will be a player. But 
will it be a dominant player you know with all the content they have uh-huh. i really don't think so i think there is going to be enormous competition not just from netflix and you know the other firms that we know that are also pushing different types of streaming services but all the companies that went through the old tv bundles are also going direct you have hbo direct to consumer you have cbs sports uh, cbs uh, news yeah um you know sony launched the view service uh, there's hulu so there are so many different streaming options and many of them will be built on exclusive content like you know disney will be and netflix would be and amazon is and then at the other end you have companies like twitter and facebook that are putting up deals to acquire live sports and other types of live programming because uh, that's where the eyeballs are now they're not right. in front of the tv uh, set right they're in front of your facebook page so, it- so I'm sorry, finish up him yeah. up. Yeah, so, so I, think, I think this nature of competition is going to be so different from what it has been in a few decades of entertainment that I feel the merger will go through, but I also feel that Disney will not be terribly, you know, hugely successful. So then my, my next question, Herbert, would be for Netflix, are they a potential merger candidate for somebody like, say, a CBS that isn't necessarily in the Hulu realm? You know, and that seemingly could be that partnership that maybe uh, that maybe CBS or Netflix would be looking for. CBS has been trying to do their own streaming service now for, I think, about a year or so. And I don't know necessarily if it is actually taken off the way they would like to. Um it's not obvious to me. I mean, Netflix, you know, is kind of the market leader. I think someone may pursue them rather than the okay. other way. Uh, but it certainly, it certainly could happen. I think it's always important in these markets to distinguish what's legally possible with what's profitable. Okay. One thing about uh, s- streamed videos is, you know, once they've been made, the cost of streaming it to an additional customer is pretty much zero. And so when you start pulling back on how many rival uh, services you're going to stream to, you're cutting, you're cutting your own revenue tremendously. You're cutting back your customer base of you know, high, high margin product, uh, and there's got to be some kind of payoff there. Uh, so I'm not quite as worried about, about uh, uh, Disney holding back a lot of its, its program, simp- programming simply because now it's in a position to do so. That doesn't mean it's profit maximizing for it to do so. Eric, yeah. Uh, although you know their their claim with Netflix is is uh, is, is is interesting. You know, one of the uh, um, I hesitate to sort of wander into Professor Hovenkamp's expertise, but uh, one of the cases you learn about in in law school uh, that's kind of interesting is the Paramount Theaters case. You know, most cities there's a Fox Theater or a Paramount Theater. Uh, that's because theaters. Those theaters were owned by the movie studios. The studios had production and distribution, and and the government broke that up, even though there were other movie theaters, you know, just as there are multiple streaming services. So uh, the the, uh, the idea, you know, having a chokehold either on production or chokehold on distribution can uh, and a combination where you can use your power either in distribution to affect competition in production or a position in production to affect competition and distribution i mean that's that is that is under the right facts under right facts in the market 
Uh, I mean, that is an antitrust violation. You know, one of the myths that uh, seems to have been batted around is that uh, vertical vertical cases are are not good cases. Um, uh, you know, the antitrust law doesn't even use the term horizontal and vertical. Uh, for a long time, the government didn't litigate or didn't have to litigate a vertical case, in part because they got remedies pre-litigation. Uh, but there's a real clear sign. I mean, there was a real clear sign last year uh, from the government, the Deputy Assistant Attorney General, uh, under the Obama administration in November of last year, gave a speech that made it very clear that the department would look at vertical mergers to see whether or not they are mostly beneficial, uh -huh. as has often been claimed, or anti-competitive. Yeah, I mean, the, the vertical merger in this particular case is mainly Hulu and the programming. Uh, neither one of which is a bottleneck. They're highly differentiated products, uh, but it's not like an Internet service provider, as in the AT&T case where you've got DirecTV plus AT&T's cable networks. There we get a lot more worried about exclusion. Here, I think the real, the real danger is kind of extreme product differentiation where due to an absence of cross-licensing, uh, these streamers don't have access to all of the programming, and of course that forces customers to either do without one of some program they want, or else they have to subscribe to multiple uh, multiple services in order to get them. The fact is, I think there's already a lot of people who subscribe to uh, multiple services. They get both Hulu and Netflix, or Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon. Uh, so I'm not sure how that's going to play out. I, I don't see right now the vertical aspect of this particular merger as being highly problematic. Hey, Mott? Yeah, so I think Eric is totally right about the you know anti-competitive effects of content versus distribution. And so you know this is why I mentioned net neutrality at the start. Now that it's gone, at least in a strong form. You know, think about what would happen with the AT&T Time Warner merger if it does go through then it is um, creating a vertical combination of content and distribution. And uh, distribution is, is that bottleneck, right? You really have no, almost no competition at the distribution level. So if an AT&T Time Warner merger would go through, then Netflix and Disney would both be severely disadvantaged by AT&T. They, they could charge much higher prices to push that content through. And so this is why I think the likely success of the Disney Fox uh, streaming service and even to some extent of Netflix will depend on what position the administration takes on the AT&T Time Warner merger. I feel, given that the change in net neutrality, I feel that this merger will be blocked. And if that does get blocked, then Disney and Fox and Netflix will be more of a level playing field because they will all be pushing content through these distribution services that cannot have their own content and therefore will be treating them in a more neutral way. But, so I think, I think that will be a really important determinant of 
of this or the success of Disney's move. But it is interesting, Herbert, that the fact that we have these two mergers that are basically in play at the same time, and, and to a degree, it almost feels like if, if one is blocked and the other is approved, I mean, it almost feels like we can't have that. We're either going to see both of these approved or both of them blocked. Well, not, not as a legal matter. One right. is a ver vertical merger and the other is a horizontal merger, and every merger stands on its own bottom in right. terms of products markets and relationship between the parties. There's no question in my mind, though, that the government is going to keep stock of these two mergers together as they as the AT&T merger is being litigated. And I, I agree that, that uh, the consequence of, of uh, removal of net neutrality is going to have a major uh, a, a major impact on this because one of the things we did not have to worry about until yesterday was that the owner of a network of a of a ISP, you know, a, a bottleneck like DirecTV or Comcast, uh, could actually start excluding or discriminating against programming that's not vertically integrated, like Netflix or Hulu. That's no longer the case, and so. You know, they, now when you ask the merger question where the effect may be substantially to lessen competition, you have to look at that in an environment in which discrimination and refusal to deal is a, is a legal possibility. And so uh, the trade-off to removal of net neutrality is going to be increased scrutiny of these types of mergers. Eric? Yeah, you know, there's an, an irony in this net neutrality thing. The, the AT&Ts of the world wanted net neutrality uh, eliminated, um, although I think if it ends up killing the AT&T Time Warner deal, the, the irony will be uh, AT&T didn't get what it, what it wished for. You know, if net neutrality really is, is sort of completely trashed, um, then, you know, you look at the ISPs, the way you look at sort of the cable companies now, and you look at the content providers, well, the way you look at them now, and uh, there will be, I think, the same kinds of negotiations, arguments, complaints that you now see between content providers and, and the and the cable companies. Um, and if that's if 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 this if this is a pure speculation on my part, but if this speculation plays out, then what you want to be as a content provider is bigger. Being bigger matters a lot, just as um, Disney's in, enjoyed the weight of ESPN and has been able to extract very high fees from cable operators because they, they needed to have ESPN. The more content you have, the more negotiating leverage you have in a world where you're fighting with cable operators or ISPs who no longer have to offer you neutrality but can ask you to pay. Yeah, and the more con and I agree with all of that. The more content you have, the more costly it's going to be for an ISP to exclude you. Uh, I mean, you know, the, you got to you got to rely to a certain extent on market forces here rather than the the law. Comcast may have the legal power to exclude Netflix. I think the audience consumer reaction, if they were to do so. Uh, would be so overwhelming mm -hmm. that they would just never consider about doing anything like that. And the bigger the streaming services like Netflix or now Hulu become, uh, the more costly the decision to exclude them will be. One of yeah. the things I uh, – go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, uh, Professor Hoffman actually points out something where my argument isn't as good as I thought it was. In the <laughs> cable world, there's usually a monopoly. So if you cut off – if you cut – 
off your your content, um, the people who live in New York or live in Philadelphia or live in Los Angeles go nuts. If in the if with an ISP world you cut off, say Verizon and go to AT and T. Uh, there's no monopoly on the distribution side. AT&T wins, Verizon loses. So I, I, I agree with Professor Hovengap. I, I think in reality these things will be worked out because I, you know Verizon will not want to lose things. But power is still power, and uh, you find it used in odd and, and usually anti-competitive ways because no company really wants to be in a competitive market. Hey, Matt? If I'm Yeah. Dan, I, I don't think it is going to be about exclusion of content or about content firms. It's really, you know, assuming uh, that the AT&T Time Warner merger goes through, it is going to be about the price that the distribution firms can extract for moving the content. It's going to be about how they might provide preferential treatment and help consumers discover certain types of content over others. Or maybe that if you're a consumer, you, you observe that certain types of, you know, content is more reliable in its transmission and display than others. And that, at the margin, that will, for, that will make some consumers shift from one content form to another. But I, I think among all of this, you have to see, you know, we talked about the size, the power and you know, size of these Disney bundles with the acquisition. What you also have to see that Disney's business model has been not just about getting money for watching content. It's about getting people to be to recognize and be in their brand, right. and then sell them toys, clothing, theme parks, amusement, right? So, so as long as Disney is able to capture consumers through streaming, but not necessarily make a lot of money, you know that that's okay because they can then monetize those consumers and the brand in other ways, and that's something that Netflix or any of their competitors do not do well. Hey, Mon, for as, Disney, the game is a little bit different than it is for Netflix. Hey, Mon, as long as we don't see a Simpsons ride at uh, Walt Disney World <laughs> or Disneyland, we'll be okay. Gentlemen, I have to end it there. Thank you very much. Greatly appreciate your time today and your insight. My pleasure. Thank you all. Herbert Hovenkamp from uh, Penn and the Wharton School. Uh, joining me here in studio, University of Michigan Professor Eric Gordon and Hamant Bargava of the University of California at Davis. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.